Welcome to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. I am Russell Joy at Joy on Broad, joined as always by Crossing Broad's Flyers beat writer, the extraordinary, the incomparable Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. Anthony, we have a very exciting episode coming up for the people, including an interview, an exclusive one-on-one sit-down with Flyers rookie defenseman Travis Sanheim, which you'll have to stick around a little bit later on in the show. Uh, Anthony, a lot going on, especially with a massive overtime win against the Boston Bruins. How are you feeling? How am I feeling? I'm, I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm, I'm always feeling good. It's, it's springtime. You know, the, the, weather, the winter weather is almost behind us. I think we're getting one last snap of snow here uh, for like a little little dusting. But other than that, uh, it's, it's, it's good to be, you know, in the springtime and getting towards playoff hockey, which is always the best time of year. And, and it looks like, Russ, the Flyers are going to be there. The Flyers are going to make it, and they're going to get in. The win over Boston was was a big win in so many ways to get the two points. Um, not only to just really secure uh, their, their, uh, their possibility of making the playoffs, because you know now the magic number is three, so points gained by the Flyers or lost by the Florida Panthers uh, over the next week gets the Flyers, um, uh, clinches a playoff berth. But more so, the win um, keeps them ahead of New Jersey, which is kind of the most important thing. Because you don't want to fall to that second wild card spot. Because if you do, you're probably getting this Boston team. And I, in the seven game series, that probably wouldn't be a good matchup. So I, I think it's important for the Flyers. And, you know, they're staying, they're, they stay tied with Columbus. They're still close to Pittsburgh. So they can jump into that 2 3 spot in the Metro as well and, and get into that series as well. So there's still five teams, really, that the Flyers could end up playing. And I'm sure we'll talk about that today. But yeah, the, the win over Boston. Uh, was huge, a uh, huge two points for the team as they look forward to going into the playoffs. I think one of the most fascinating things about this team all year has been the play of so many of their young players, including the Travis Konechny's of the world. Now that Travis Sanheim has been called up, uh, he's been playing well. Oscar Lindblom. We've we've seen a lot of rookies and a lot of good players uh, continue to to blossom, and I think Konechny's probably the number one guy. That maybe it's not a surprise, but I think the way that he stepped up, he scored his 24th goal today, which puts him in third place on the team and goal scored this season. I believe fifth overall in points for the team. Has uh, has Konechny's rise as a you know a young player to prominence, not just among other young rookies, but you know in the in the grand scheme of the league, the fact that he's now a top three goal scorer on a you know about to be a playoff team, has his level of play surprised you at all? No, it hasn't really surprised me. I mean, the, the Flyers always liked Konechny to be this player. I, maybe it happened a, a little quicker than they thought it would, um, but the fact the fact still remains that you know he's playing on the top line with Giroux and Couturier, so he gets a lot of opportunities. He's, he's out on the ice in a lot of um, uh, you know for offensive zone draws and. And uh, he's he's really running and gunning. I mean, he's he's cherry picking in the in the neutral zone. So anytime the Flyers win a puck battle, the first thing he's doing is he's outletting into the neutral zone to try and use his speed to get behind the defense. So he's getting a lot of offensive chances. So it, it, it it's a little bit you got to be careful to you know not get overexcited. But that said, he's got 24 goals, 18 
come in the last 32 games, I think it is, or 33 games, something like that. I mean, he's really ramped it up. He had six goals in De- in December. He's got 24 now. It really just goes to show how his game has grown leaps and bounds. And there's still times where we get frustrated with, with the coach for benching him for most of a period because he had a turnover or two or was a little sloppy with the puck in his own zone. And then he gets – he you know, there's – punitive issues for him um but at the same time you know you look at it look at today i'm telling you the goal against boston was something that you don't see very many people be able to do it was it was really really pretty could well be top five goals of the year that's how good it was um so, you know, Konechny has been – the Flyers have needed to find somebody else other than Giroud, Vorchek, Couturier to score for them this year. And so Konechny jumping in and being that fourth guy. And he's really – he is the fourth guy. I mean, in, in all honesty, he plays more offensive minutes than Wayne Simmons does. Simmons gets the power play time. Um, but but uh, uh, Simmons is playing on the third line uh, when they're rolling five on five. So Konechny has really become that fourth scorer that the Flyers really, really needed. And that's why that they're playing so well, because because he's providing that for them. It is really funny if you think about, the, I think, the career trajectory and, and some of the issues that Konechny's had getting on the ice and, and staying on it over the course of the last two years. Of course, he had been in, in maybe the... Um, the most hotly debated kind of thing. It was it was he and Ghost last year getting benched by Dave Haxtall, essentially relegated to the press box while many fans were clamoring for them to return to the ice, knowing that the team wasn't really ready to make a playoff run and these are good developmental years for them. It, you don't want to see guys miss on you know, miss useful time on ice uh, and get in get into the game in you know, in big situations with low expectations. We've even seen within the last month, it was uh, around March 9th, March 10th of this year, Konechny was essentially benched at the end of a game. And I, I remember getting into it with Mike Sielski on Twitter not that long ago. I guess it was a few months. Um, Sielski kind of became this apologist for Dave Haxtell, you know, playing this uh, almost like a tough love kind of thing with Konechny and even Ghost, uh, Ghost of Spare last year. And I'm, I'm still not a fan of the tactic, I'm a teacher, so if if a kid doesn't do well in a class, I don't then send them out into the hallway for them to like you know review their notes and uh, you know sit back and and say hey you can come back to class in like three days when you're ready when you have uh, all of the the content mastered then you're allowed to come back in no like you need to work through it and I, I think that's maybe the biggest criticism I've had of of Dave Hackstall to this point is you know for a guy who had coached in college and a guy who's you know I. I thought when he got hired would be somebody who would connect really well and kind of be the Brett Brown um, as like a, I guess a cross sport comparison, somebody who is almost like love, loving and nurturing and, and, you know, caring about the players, at least even in the public eye, it appeared like that. And that's not to say the hack stall isn't behind the scenes. I don't know. I've never met the guy. Um, but the, the idea that you would relegate your young players, you know, sending them away uh, almost the way that Laviolette did with Bobrovsky back in 2010, uh, you know, banishing him to Siberia. These are things that I think are somewhat troublesome, but you really can't, you can't question, I guess, at this point, that in some way, shape, or form, this accountability, at least when it comes to Travis Konechny this season, it's it has been effective. I don't know how much of that is Hackstall actually, you know, physically removing him from games or having him sit in the press box, but that tough love seems to have gotten through. It, it has been interesting 
from my outside perspective, I don't know if, you know, when you're down there as a guy who covers the team, who interviews the players, who interviews the coaches, asks questions at press conferences, I don't know what kind of feeling you get. I think that's one of the interesting dynamics and, and a very big differentiating factor that we have here on Snow the Goalie is the outsider and the insider's perspective. So is there anything that you see differently uh, than what the average Joe sees? Um, I, I did last year, to be honest with you. I, I kind of was I kind of was okay with it last year because Konechny wasn't in as an important as a role as he is now. Um, so I, I really didn't have an issue with them using teaching moments at times with him. Gostas Bear bothered me a little bit more than Konechny did because Gostas Bear had already been in the league and it was into his second season. So that one bothered me a little bit more. But Konechny was, you know, it was his first year and he was trying to get his feet wet and, and learn the NHL game. I kind of was okay with that. But this year, when especially in this month, I mean, it was just a week and a half ago that they played a game at home and, and they won the game, but Konechny sat the entire third period. And I pulled Konechny aside in the locker room, and I tried to get him to, to see it from my perspective. And he didn't disagree with me, but he wouldn't, you know, at the time, he wouldn't, you know, say anything negative about the coach uh, because they had won the game, and that was the most important thing. And so he was a good teammate and said all the right stuff. But you could tell that he was – you know, when I was sitting there saying, you know, you scored two goals in this game, you're the best offensive player on the ice, why the hell is he taking you off the ice? And, and you can see he says, I hear you, but it worked because we won. And so, I, you know, this year I kind of have an issue with it. I, I really do, especially in the second half of the season. If you want to send a message like that to a player, and I know Konechny is still young, and yes, he's still going to make mistakes, but the fact of the matter is, is he's such an offensive-oriented player that you got to expect there to be turnovers when the puck's on his stick because he's going to have it a lot. Voracek does it. He makes mistakes. He, he turns the puck over. Um, but he's not benched. He's not sitting because he's, you know, in his ninth year in the league now or whatever it is. And, and so, therefore, to me, I don't like how it's treated, how Konechny is treated this year. I just don't. I don't see it. Uh, to me, he's a guy that if he's having a great game like he was last week, he should be out there. And if he's having a great game like he was having against Boston, he should be out there. Now, he wasn't benched against the Bruins, but that line really didn't play as much down the stretch um, in the last couple of minutes. Um, it was really kind of interesting because he had the worst possible line on the ice for the tying goal that forced the overtime. Um, but I understand. Like I mean, again, if, like, if it's a one-goal game and it's late, and, you know, you want to throw an extra center out there instead of Konechny for defensive purposes, okay, fine, but not for an entire period. And that's – so, therefore, I don't see it. I don't see how it benefits now. Um, I, whereas and, – and you'll hear, I think, with, in the interview with Travis Sanheim, I thought that there was a little bit of benefit with him because what you see on the, on paper isn't necessarily indicative of what's really going on with the player. And we'll talk more about that uh, after the interview. We can like kind of break down his answers. Um, but, at, you know, so it's your, if it's your first year in the league, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. But if it's not, if you've been in the league before and you're still doing this, I'm, I'm not certain that it sells. I'm not certain that it works, especially with today's player. I think they just roll their eyes at it. Yeah, I, I think even – kind of to a point that you just made you know you look at time on ice uh in in this game 
he's uh, a mere 33 seconds on ice uh, longer than your Latera was. And right. I think this is either in a, a test show that we had done uh, or as a conversation that we had had before we were actually recording. You know, the, the concept to me of the, you know, what Dave Haxall considers a veteran leader and, you know, is a veteran leader code for this guy's played in the league for a long time, doesn't really bring any dynamic qualities to the table. But you can, you know, as a coach, you feel like you can trust them because of their locker room presence. You know what? I've I've been around enough people now uh, when veteran leader is brought up, they say that's uh, code for the guy sucks and his and his contract is such that he has to play. And I'm not saying that that's Yuri Latera or, you know, even Val Fippola at this point, but you know, when I look at the time on ice, I see a dynamic player in Konechny. And again, a guy who's third on your team in goals. A guy who, you know, that that goal, I think, has to be up for goal of the year, right? Like the batting it to himself. It wasn't exactly the same kind of play that Crosby had earlier in the week on what probably will win goal of the year, where he batted it to himself at eye level, give or take, and, and smacked it in. But, you know, when you, uh, you know, maybe time on ice is just such an arbitrary stat uh, you know, it doesn't really take into account the situations when players have been playing. You know, I just find it, you know, at least somewhat upsetting when I see that he's not, uh, I don't expect him to be on the ice at all times. Like, you know, when he's paired up with uh, Giroux, uh, obviously Lindblom is a younger guy that was called up this year. He had, I think, the second least minutes on ice, uh, you know, but these guys are young. Um, Konechny definitely is still getting more minutes or at least did in this game than Nolan Patrick did. Uh, then obviously Lindblom did even a guy like Scott Lawton, who's been back and forth between the Phantoms and the Flyers over his career had, you know, a, a quite a, a significant drop in minutes compared to, uh, to Konechny. I, I'd like to see him get more time. And I think as you're shortening your bench, as you're getting into a playoff run and you're getting later in games, he, I think he's at this point proven himself to be such a dynamic offensive talent that, you know, him not being on the ice at, in the end of games is reckless in a sense, it seems like it's it's uh, John Stevens level of playing hyper conservative. And at some point you have, you know, the, the damn breaks. And that kind of happened at the end of this game. What was it? Three point four seconds left on the clock. You concede a third goal and, you know, the game ends up going to overtime. Now, granted, Boston's a fantastic team. They lead the league in points. I get that. But, you know, when when you get into a, a position where, you know, as you're shortening this bench, you're looking to preserve a lead even against a great team like Boston, uh, it it just kind of harkens back to some some bad moments, some bad Flyers coaches, and sometimes that I have PTSD from. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I just don't want to see it happen again with this team. I don't want to see it happen with young, dynamic talent. I'd rather this team, you know, lose games, but uh, let me rephrase this. I'd rather see them in a situation where there's a slight chance of them losing, but the players, especially the younger guys, are getting quality minutes and are getting important minutes in important junctures of the game uh, than for you to have them sit and guarantee yourself a victory, if that makes sense. I, maybe that's just the process trusting you know, Sixers fan in me, but I do think that there's something to be said for youth development in, in big moments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there is. And you know, I'll I'll be honest with you. We're sitting up in the press box, and I sit next to Bill Meltzer, um, who does stuff for the Flyers website, for NHL, for Hockey Buzz. I mean, he writes for like sixteen different places. And uh, we're sitting there, and literally right before that last shift that where Boston ties the game, 
there was a timeout. It was a TV timeout. It was a late TV timeout because um, the game was was moving. There wasn't a stoppage, and so they got that late TV timeout. And they come back from the TV timeout, and he comes back. It's an offensive zone faceoff, and he comes back with Filpola, Laterra, um, uh, Simmons, and uh, McDonald, and I believe it was Provorov, I think, was the fifth uh, player on the ice. And it, they go to go to the faceoff, and Bill Meltzer and I are looking at each other, and Bill says, why would you go with these guys after a long timeout? Like, you had the rest. Go with a different line. And I agreed with him 100% because what ends up happening, the Flyers, uh, they won the draw, but then they lost control of the puck. It comes down their end. Uh, they kind of get pinned back a little bit, and then they ice the puck. Well, now you've iced it, and now they can't change. So Boston can. Boston brings on all their big guns, uh, pull the goalie, and these guys get stuck out there. And three of them had a chance to clear the puck out of the zone. Simmons, really, all he had to do was just – freaking flip it out of the zone. He was at the blue line and was trying to carry it out very nonchalantly. He loses it. Laterra has a swipe at it, misses it. Uh, McDonald flips it back, backhands it to try and flip it out of the zone. It hits a body and kicks back into the zone. And Boston gets control and they end up scoring a tying goal. And it makes you wonder, how can you be, after a timeout, at the end of a game, how are you not getting Couturier? And Matt Reed, believe it or not, we're going to talk a little bit about Matt Reed. Matt Reed's been sensational defensively. Can't score worth a lick. But defensively, he's been really, really good. And and I would even say Giroux, for this matter, because of how well Giroux played in the game against Bergeron's line. Why, aren't, why don't you get those guys out there after a timeout? I mean, that makes the most sense to me in the final minute of the game when you're trying to protect a one-goal lead. And he didn't do it. So to me, that falls on the coach a little bit. Yeah, the players didn't execute. Yeah, they made mistakes, but you're playing against the best team in hockey, or the currently the second best team in hockey because Nashville won again tonight. But um, so the second best team in hockey, and, and you have you're trying to protect that one goal lead. Don't you want your best guys out there? It doesn't make sense. So to me, you sit there and say, "Well, high pressure situation. Maybe you want the young guys out there." Well, I'm I'm not I'm honestly not putting Travis Sandheim on the ice at that point. I mean, Provorov's young, but he's a stud. Um, he's the guy you lean on all year. I'm not putting Konechny out in that situation. I'm not putting Scott Lawton out in that situation or any young player for that matter. I'm putting my best defensive players on the ice at that point, and he didn't do that either. So it didn't. you didn't get what you want, which is the young players in critical moments so that they can learn how to play in those situations. And he didn't get what give you what I wanted, which are your best uh, players, defensive players who are familiar with these kind of situations, especially since you need to win the game to really secure a playoff spot, he gave us something completely different, which is why we're all frustrated, right? I mean, and, and then Boston ends up tying the game. Granted, the Flyers come back, you know, after after a quick uh, recovery and play a really strong overtime and win the game in overtime, but it, it shouldn't have gotten to that point. All they had to do was either A, a better lineup, and then B, the players that are on the ice who – Hacksaw trusts need to make a smart, simple play, and none of that happens. So it's a to me, it's an overall systematic failure. I couldn't help but notice during the game, uh, questions about the goalie situation were brought up, um, which I think we'll get to in a moment. Uh, there are some other things that we want to get to on the other side of this interview, but I think now is probably about as good a time as any um, since we've been talking about youth and especially we've been talking about youth playing in important situations. We've talked about guys going between the NHL and AHL, uh, whether that 
you know, that even includes Matt Reed, a guy who you want to get to a little bit later in the show. So uh, I think we're going to roll that now. Yeah, but before you roll, I just want to say this about Russ. The reason that I picked Travis Sanheim to be the first interview for this Snow the Goalie podcast was because of how much conversation uh, surrounded Travis Sanheim on Crossing Broad, on our Twitter feeds, talk anytime we talked about hockey. It was almost as if he was in our daily conversation, daily hockey conversation, because he wasn't playing, because he was sent down to the American Hockey League. And I felt like if anybody, I mean, yeah, sure, I could go grab Claude Giroux or Jake Voracek or any you know player who's been around forever and do the same kind of interview, but I kind of felt like this is probably the person that the people who follow us wanted to hear from most. And so, you know, I, as you'll hear, we addressed all the situations that you probably want to hear from Travis Sanheim. So I hope it's uh, an interview you guys like. And by the way, you know, to, to Claude and to uh, Jake and all those guys, all the, the wonderful veterans who are not just veteran leaders, but are also veteran leaders with legitimate skill who listen to Snow the Goalie, uh, to them I would also say, we love you as well. And, it, you know, <laughs> you're absolutely welcome at any point to come on the show. Anyway. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to Travis Sanheim. We want to welcome to the Snow the Goalie podcast our uh, first uh, Flyers member, Travis Sanheim, joining the program with us today. Travis, the reason you've been picked is a lot of the fans, both who follow us on our on our podcast and on Twitter, say that you're like the most popular guy for them. Does that surprise you at all? That you, that you of all the guys in this locker room, that you're the guy that they want to talk to or yeah. hear from? Yeah, I mean, maybe a bit. Uh, there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of, uh, you know star players on this team and um you know definitely a lot of guys that are there you know i would have thought they were you know ahead of me in the, on that uh, regard and um so i guess you know i'm thankful for that but uh yeah i appreciate the, the support but um yeah there's definitely you know a lot of guys you know great players on this team oh i think a lot of it has had to do with the fact that uh, you know there's a lot of people who felt you know that you should have been playing all year long but what's the difference between the way you're playing now since you've been recalled than maybe what it was the first 35 games I think you're just seeing a confident player, a guy that uh, you know believes he can play at this level, um, play with these guys, and, and uh, have success at this level. And um, yeah, I think a little bit, uh, you know, before you you start to, uh, you know, as the season starts to go on, you start to get doubts in your head of, uh, you know, whether whether you can play at this level or, you know, little things like that. And um, I think just to go down and, and uh, you know realize that, you know, I do belong up here. You know, I deserve to be up here. And, uh, just made that next opportunity worth it, and uh, tried to prove that uh, you know I belonged up here. Was that a difficult time for you? I mean, in the sense that you know, nine out of ten games you sat in the press box. We, I would see you at second intermission grabbing a hot hot chocolate because it's nice and cold up in that press box, right? But then go down to go down and, and really handle that in a certain way to get yourself back here. Was that was that difficult for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think it's uh, anybody enjoys you know sitting out. And, um, but in saying that, you know, I try to work hard off the ice, learn from, from uh, you know, watching and uh, try to gain as much uh, uh, much uh, as I could from, from sitting out. And, uh, you know, going down, obviously, again, was a, was a tough, uh, tough thing for me to handle. And, um, but, I, you know, I thought I you know, handled it very, uh, very well and went down, you know, worked hard right away and um, you know, started to, to play some really good hockey down there. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to get another opportunity up here. Could you see the things on video that, like, the coaches were talking to you at the time saying, hey, Travis, here are the things that, you know, we need you to kind of fix and work on before you can get back into the lineup? Was, that, was it evident to you on video? 
Um, or was yeah, it, or is it harder to really kind of see it? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we would go over some some video as well, and um, but just uh, I think it was just the overall aspect of my game and uh, just having the, the confidence in myself to be able to go out there and just do what I do and uh, not having to worry about uh, you know mistakes here and there. Just go out and uh, you know if you do make a mistake, get right back on it and. Uh, don't let it you know affect the rest of your game. Now, so is that something that's really just not measure, measurable? I mean, if, if you're a fan and you're looking at it and say, "Well, geez, his, these stats look good and this stat looks good," but it's it's probably something that's not really measurable statistically. That you know, because you guys aren't robots, but you guys are human, right? Yeah. So certain things affect you in certain ways. So there are things that when you have to fix it and you have to work on it, sometimes it's it's not something that can be measured statistically. Correct. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously there's a ton of statistics out there, and um, you know, to, to be honest, I think half the guys in here probably don't even know what, what they mean, so um, yeah, we're not really looking into you know, statistics too much, it's more uh, just our overall play and you know, how we're feeling out there on the ice and um, you know, how uh, you know the, the coaching staff and management uh, you know, view our play, and uh, you know, obviously you know, throughout the course of the year, you're always trying to get better, and um, I think uh, you know I'm still at that point where where I'm still learning, uh, still making mistakes, but I think uh, you know I'm a lot a uh, lot less of them uh, at, the, at this stage, and uh, which is a good thing to see. How much of it is making the things that you need to do a more instinctual part of your game, so that you can focus on being the more well-rounded player? Player, obviously, we know how good you are offensively, and maybe a little bit of that got away from you because you were focusing so much on defense. Uh, how much of it has to become this is what I just do, and I don't even have to think about it, so that you can have that more well-rounded game. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's what I got when I went down to the American Hockey League. I just went down there and played, and uh, I was playing against the you know the top uh, top lines on the other team, matching up against them, and um, you're just going into the game, not not worrying about uh, anything, just going in and play and playing solid defensively, and and uh, you know creating some offense as well. And I uh, wasn't really focused on on any specific area, just going out and playing my game and. Um, you know, just uh, learning from that and, and watching it in video down there and realizing that, hey, you know, the next time that I come up here that uh, I wanted, that, that was something that I wanted to bring with me. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, even speaking with, you know, my parents and stuff like that, just, uh, you know, when I did get the call, just uh, to, to come up here and, and uh, you know, bring a lot of, uh, you know, similarities that uh, are similar stuff that, uh, you know, I was doing down there. Uh, since you've been back, you've been paired with Andrew McDonald. Um, it's no secret how much the coaching staff really relies on him, and really the team being, you know, being that he's one of the uh, alternate captains here. Um, he's had he, this season. He's played with Provy at the beginning, played with Hager for a while. Now he's playing with you. Obviously, putting a veteran guy with with younger guys like yourself. How important has it been your relationship with him, both as a partner and even off the ice, uh, to helping you? get to the point where you are now to be able to play as well as you're playing yeah he's uh you know he's obviously you know a really good player and um you know a guy that uh you know i'm able to lean on a lot uh you know especially through through going down and coming back up and um you know, a guy that's probably you know that's been through you know throughout his career as well and um you're just having him you know to, to be able to uh you know, help me out in certain situations, but, uh, you know, just, you know, how good of a player he is on the ice, and, uh, you know, he communicates well with me, whether it's, uh, you know, on the ice talking to me or, or on the bench, uh, you know, after a shift, just, uh, you know, going over, you know, little things, what we could uh, what could have done on that play and this play, and, um, yeah, he's just been, you know, really good, uh, you know, veteran presence for, for not only me, but the team as well. Now, this time of year, uh, everything is heightened. The game is faster, it's more intense, um, mistakes are magnified. How, what do you have to do to really kind of 
match that level and then also to focus so much that if there is a mistake, you can kind of dismiss it really quickly because it matters so much more right now as you guys are making this playoff push. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, right now we're just uh, really just going out there working hard and, and uh, really for, for me, I'm you know trying to simplify my game as much as I can, making making the right plays. If I see something, just make make that play and not trying to uh, you know, too high risk plays. It's more uh, you know, keeping it simple, but I'm saying that my game's uh, you know jump up in the play and uh, still trying to provide that uh, you know that kind of offense and and uh, being able to join and, and create that side of it. So. Um, you, know, you don't want to, you know, uh, take away from the game too much, but I think uh, making sure that uh, you know when the right circumstances uh, you know come that you, you are making the smart play and the, the right reads. Now, when you were finally able to get that first goal a couple weeks back, and then you've got a second one since then, you're starting to get some more offense. It, did it really just take a mat? Was it just a matter of getting that first one to really make you feel like, okay, now I now I know I can do this and, and really get out there and, and jump up and be that support offensive support from the blue line? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think. To obviously get that first one, you're a little bit, uh, you know, relieved that you got that first one out of the way, and now you can just go out and play your game, and, and not having to you know, worry about having to get that first goal. And um, you know, since then, it's just, uh, yeah, it's not a matter of you know thinking that uh, you know I need to get that one out of the way. It's more just uh, playing my game. If, if uh, you know the right chances come, and uh, you know, hopefully I can put that in the back of the net. Thanks, Travis. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you. All right, Anthony. Right off the bat. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to dissect in that interview. I have to say the one thing that stood out to me the most, and it was something that we talked about really early on in the uh, the welcome show for the people who listened to that, which I was actually kind of surprised, to be honest, uh, by how many people listened to a welcome show. It was even called Welcome to Snow the Goalie. <laughs> one, one of the things that you know, you and I had talked about, even as we were getting ready to set up this show, was how much are we going to focus on analytics? Because there's definitely a group of people who are swearing by things like Fenwick and Corsi, and they think that that's the be-all, end-all of statistical measure in hockey. And, of course, there are other things, expected goal percentage and all that stuff. I, I couldn't help but laugh. The first time that I listened to the Sandheim interview, and I listened to it a few times, when Travis actually said that he doesn't think that there are that many guys in the locker room who uh, could really tell you what many of those advanced stats mean in the first place. (laughs) That was like the one thing that stuck stuck out to me. And again, I think a lot of times it's easy for fans to sit back and want to to assign a number value to something, feel like they're on the cutting edge of understanding what, what the new analytic trends are. But you also kind of take out the human element, I think, when you do that. And so just hearing that, you know, a guy who's young, this isn't somebody who's, you know, in his 15th NHL season, this is a guy who could just as easily be someone who, you know, would know what the analytics are. The fact that he, you know, came out and said that not that many guys in the locker room even understand what most of those numbers are that people are, you know, ranting and raving about online. Uh, I, I found, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, I, so what I, the way I look at it, and, and I, you made a good point, say the human element is missing because what ends up happening is, you know, when you really look at any analytics, and it could be any for any sport, not just hockey, but any sport, if the players were robots, I think analytics would be 100% perfect, right? Because that would, you know, they would just do the same things over and over again. But you, you, when you take the human element out of, you know, out of the equation, of course it makes sense. But you can't measure the human element. And, and and that was one of the things that, you know, when you listen to Sandheim talk about the fact that he completely lost confidence as a player, not sure that he could play it at the NHL level, it, no matter what his statistics were telling you, in his own head, he's telling himself, I can't do this. 
And so if you wonder why the guy went down, it was because he lost his confidence. He didn't, he didn't believe that he was an NHL-caliber player, even after playing 35 games in the NHL. So, you know, when you hear that, you have to sit there and say, oh, okay, now this kind of makes a little bit more sense, right? It's not just a statistical thing. And the players, you're right, he's right. The players, they don't care. I mean, they keep track of um, their own, you know, goals, assists, and points. And you know what else they look at? The stat that that all the analytics people can't stand is plus minus. It was funny. Like, it, it, we were in the um, locker room today, and everybody's talking about Claude Giroux because, you know, the, oh, he should be a Hart Trophy finalist finally. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, you guys jumping on this bandwagon two weeks after I was saying it. Um, but they asked Matt Reed about it and asked Travis Konechny about him. Both of them brought up plus minus, which is like the most hated stat amongst analytics people because it's not a true measure of real plus minus. It only, you know, you're on the ice and you're, or you're, you know, for a goal for or a goal against. And I apologize for my clock playing in the background. No, I think it's good. That, that my friend is the sound of uh, father time. Just hitting, hitting a pause, saying, yeah. "Wait, slow down, slow down, people! Uh, you analytics, what did you call them in the, in the Welcome Show? Analytics nerds, nerds, uh, or math geeks, or whatever they are." No, but the point is, what is, is what's that tune playing? Hold on a second, this is big news. Hold on, I, big I, if I true. What, what? You know what? I don't even know which one that is. It's the clock on the wall plays like a different song at the top of the hour. So right now it's actually nine o'clock on Sunday night. You guys will hear this tomorrow morning, um, but right now it's nine o'clock on Sunday night, and at the top of the hour, this clock in the kitchen plays a song, different song. And I, the one, only one that I really recognize is like the, the, the Titanic song, my heart will go on or whatever it is. A little Celine Dion to, yeah. <laughs> to keep you, to keep your heart warm. At some Who, point, you know at what? Some point, that's it. Hold but on. Other than that, I don't know what the songs are. Okay. Hockey has ice and the end of Titanic has ice. I, I just want everybody right now who, uh, who watched Titanic and really hated Rose at the end to just have a let's have a moment of silence for Jack because let's be honest Jack said never let go and what did Rose do at the end of Titanic she let she go let go she yeah. let him become a jack sickle she had plenty of space on that stupid door mythbusters even proved it see those are the kind of things that people really care about they don't That's care right. about Fenwick That's go ahead <laughs> I hope I hope your Fenwick keeps you warm at night analytics nerd I, I like that that's where we ended up with this, right? Oh, we all, we, it just comes back. Welcome to Snow the Goalie, people. Snow, Snow the Goalie, where we talk about my clock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, yeah, so so yeah, so really, it, it, you know, the analytics stuff, are there people working for the Flyers who are looking at this stuff? Yes, there are. But it's not something that's really being discussed with players, so that you can use that information and say, okay, well, this is what's going on. How can we now change our game plan to maybe modify that or kind of change that? Maybe try and find make little tweaks and changes to the system to make it any to make it better. And and really, when you when you talk about that, the changes that you're going to see in the long haul are only going to be minor. Uh, minor. They're not going to be big. It's not like you're going to. It's not like there's you know a, a bazillion ways of playing hockey there's only a handful right and and teams employ pretty much standard um systems there are a couple that are a little bit different than others but for the most part it's all the same so you're really only talking about a change in statistical measurements that that is very slight now can it swing a game sure absolutely can swing a game but that's why i say to people all the time 
it's it's a good thing to look at. It's a good thing to know, but you can't you can't be um, beholden to it 100% because if you are, you're going to end up with a team like the Flyers, which is a 500 team, and they constantly go against whatever the statistical measure is. The Flyers dictate – like today, they were dictating five-on-five five play. They were completely outshot, 39-23 to 23 or 24, whatever it was. Um, and then there are times when they are com- being completely dominated – in the analytics categories, and they win the game. So they really kind of just, they are the antithesis of what tracking these analytics are. And 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 that's okay. It's, it's okay. But it's also, as long as people understand that it's a good measure, it's a good thing, a you know, bit of information, all information is good. That's why they do sweat studies, for God's sake. You know, they're, well, how quickly does a guy recover from sweating? I mean, you know, so all of this stuff is good to know. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the only way to determine if a team is good or not or how they should be playing or this guy's Corsi is better than that guy, so he should be playing more minutes. That's not necessarily the case. And that's, that's all it is. And I'm glad that Travis Sanheim, who, is the, who has been for the Flyers this year, the um, poster boy for analytics and why he should be playing, came out and said, we don't know what any of that stuff means. Where it, my reason I went, I got sent down is because I lost my confidence. Oh, okay. Thanks, Travis. Thank you. Thank you for validating what I've been saying for four months. <laughs> you know, that's I feel I feel kind of you know vindicated in a, in a lot of ways. Um, so hopefully, all the people who hate me on Twitter because I've been saying this will now listen to the Snow the Goalie podcast and be educated by the player himself on this on this subject. And I can sit there and say, I told you so. Snow the Goalie Podcast. Allow the dulcet tones of Anthony Sanfilippo educate you as you sit back yeah. in your recliner yeah. or the driver's seat of your automobile. I just want to say, like, I do think it, it, it makes me a little bit sad. Um, it, this isn't to sound as stupid as it's going to. It does kind of feel a little bit disheartening to hear Sanheim say that he lost his confidence. And I, I feel like so much of that was just... The stretch of games that he, I was arguing, should have been in, I still think that, you know, it's, I've wrapped my head around the value that Andrew McDonald brings to the table as a veteran leader, which I feel like is now going to be bad anytime I say it. Uh, I do think that McDonald does bring some things to the table that are useful. Brandon Manning is a guy that I think has taken a lot of heat, and I don't really know what kind of a player Brandon Manning is. I don't think he's really anything more than a, 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 ter- a terrible than, one. <laughs> than, well, I was going to say, like to me, he's he's like your seven, right? He's an emergency yeah. defenseman. You know, break the glass if needed, and all of your minor league defensemen are dead. But the idea that Sanheim should have been sitting in a press box for as long as he was, and this kind of came back to. I think what maybe was the number one moment that pissed off the most Flyers fans this season was when um, Hextall was asked about why Sanheim wasn't on the ice. And he said, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed about it. And uh, the coach is disappointed about it. The players disappointed about it. Well, guess what, dude? Like you're the GM. You have the ability to say to your coach without micromanaging him, get the kid in the game. You know, it's not like you've got six big time NHL defensemen who are, you know, hardened by uh, massive veteran experience that are these playoff tested guys you've got like at least one of these defensemen playing over him as a guy who legitimately should not be a regular starter on this team the worst that'll happen like what you you put Sanheim out there 
he brings you some kind of dynamic offense, he makes a mistake. He does the same thing that Ghost did last year, the same thing that Hackstall essentially crucified Ghost for last year, which was being a dynamic offensive defenseman and making the occasional mistake on defense. You know, like, God help anybody uh, who, who happens to have a lick of offensive ability that also happens to play, you know, from a defensive role. I just, I, it's so disheartening to me to hear that Sanheim lost confidence, and I feel like that stretch is a time where between the GM and between the coach, somebody should have said, we've got to give this kid a shot, and we've got to mix him into a rotation. He doesn't need, you know, if, if you think that he wasn't good enough or you were worried about the defensive liability that he was going to provide, then coach him. Coach him appropriately to stay within a certain zone. Coach him, you know, with the the understanding that if he violates any of what you want him to do, that he will not be playing any longer in that game. As much as I would hate it, because, you know, I, I think restricting a guy's natural instinct that's made him successful to this point is is stupid. I also think that there's something to be said for actually getting him in NHL games. So it it's kind of a bummer, but it's also good to see that since he's come back up, He's really proven himself. He's proven to be a valuable contributor to this team. And it's going to be exciting, you know, barring some kind of cataclysmic, stupid cluster F decision making by Dave Haxtall. He should actually be getting playoff minutes, which, you know, again, for guys like Provorov and even Gostasper, who are younger defensemen, um, although they've you know been in the league for a couple of years, it's still something to be said. You know, like there is something to be said for getting young guys playoff minutes. There's nothing like playoff hockey. No, you're, you're you're right, and I, I will say this: the the one thing, and if you go back, um, you would have to scroll way back into the, the November and December stories that I was writing on Crossing Broad. Um, my complaint about the situation with Sanheim was that he was sitting in the press box. So it, to me, there was one of two options, and they were choosing the third, which was not really a good one. the The two options were: you either play him in the NHL and let him figure it out, or if there is something that you're that's really keeping you from putting him into that lineup. He needs to be in the AHL playing 25 minutes a night to figure it out. Because in the AHL, the AHL is it's a really good professional league. I mean, a lot of people think of minor leagues in sports and they're like, oh, that's just the minor leagues. But the the difference with the AHL is um, while you might not have the top end talent that you have in the NHL, it is a huge difference from junior hockey to the AHL because the AHL now you have guys who are uh, that they're this is their job. They're being paid. This is their living. Um, you have grown men playing, uh, and not just sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen year olds playing against you. And they're gonna and they're all trying to get to the NHL, and they're all playing that way every night. And so therefore, that's a very good develop. I, I I venture to say that American Hockey League hockey, in comparison to other minor league sports is probably the closest you will find to the professional sport that's considered that is a minor league. Like I I I look around and I say okay, is the G League in basketball the same? No, it's not close at all. Is is minor league baseball the same as the major? No, I don't think it's that close. But I do think the American Hockey League it's like playing a bunch of third and fourth line guys. You're just not playing against the superstar players, right? So I, he needed to be in one of those two places. And I think that they had realized that he was struggling with a lot of things at the speed of the game, and he was starting to question himself. And it was more about Sanheim as a person than it was Sanheim as a player. And they realized that they needed to find something for So he goes back down to the American Hockey League. He realizes when he's down there playing 25 minutes a night that he is significantly better than anyone else down there. 
So he should not be playing in the American Hockey League. He should be in the NHL. And he figures it out. And he regains that confidence, comes back in. And he's been pretty darn good. Yeah, he's had a few mistakes, but he's cut back on them significantly over the since he's been back um, in the NHL. In the NHL, I think it's been ten games now, eleven games now, and really has solidified the second pair. I'll tell you that Andrew McDonald has been better with Travis Sanheim as his partner, and I think there. I think there's kind of, and that's why one of the I wanted to ask Sanheim about that relationship because. Um, you know, McDonald is certainly a team leader. He's an alternate captain for a reason. But they really seem to f- play well together. And you're not seeing as many mistakes from McDonald either as a veteran, the same mistakes that people complain about all the time. I think he's playing better with Sanheim out there. And now Sanheim, because McDonald's more not – he's not like a gambling defenseman. He's not going to turn the puck over a lot. He does it a little bit. But he doesn't do it a lot. I think Sanheim now feels a little bit more – comfortable to go into a situation where, hey, I can pinch up, uh, you know, and jump up into the play or pinch down along the wall uh, or get involved in the offense and create. He made a great play today where he faked a shot and passed it into the slot and Scott Lawton had a tip on goal and, and Kadobin made a great save for Boston uh, to prevent the goal from going in. But Sanheim makes that play because he's aware because of his awareness, his offensive awareness. I don't think in the first 30 games of the season, he's thinking to make that play. He's probably drifting back a little bit and not jumping up to play, make that, make that pass into the slot. So I think that a lot of it comes down to the player. And it's funny when I did that interview with Chris Pryor, the uh, Flyers assistant general manager talking about all the uh, prospects. uh, One of the things that I had asked him and he said was a prospect will let you know when they're ready to come up. They will let you know. And it's an interesting thing. Like, you don't really think about that. But they need to figure it out on, on, on what it takes to play at that level and to go to the next level. And it, a lot of times it becomes – it's more about the person than it is about their ability. And I think fans miss that p- portion. They want to get the – they want to see – they know that there's skill there and he's going to be really good and blah, blah, blah. But they, the, the process of, the, of growing up into that role as a person – is often lost because we're only looking at these people as athletes, not necessarily as people. I totally agree. I, yeah, the, it, it is right. It's the human. The human element is the thing that I think is so easy to to forget. And you know, when when you're talking about players, you're talking about them. You know, when you're a fan and you're talking about a player, you're essentially talking about them. I think the age of of video games has kind of desensitized people to, you know, what exactly players are. Even though we live in the social media age where you can in a sense, feel like you get to know these players better than you ever have before. You're also just as easy after a bad game to be ready to trade away a guy and uproot his entire life. Uh, you know, you could do that kind of thing so carelessly, so heartlessly or whatever. Um, but people don't ever seem to want to, you know, give a guy, uh, you know, the slightest break. There can be so many things going on. You know, you expect guys like Giroux and Voracek to go out and light the lamp multiple times every game. But you don't know what's happened, you know, leading up to that game. And the psych- sports psychology is, you know, such a, a big, uh, you know, section of, of psychology. Those guys or, and, and women get to uh, charge in, inordinate fees because of how important and how critical their role is, uh, you know, in maintaining a lot of these, uh, these players or helping these players to maintain, you know, their mental stability. So many of these things are things that fans just don't take into account. So I think it was awesome that Sanheim opened up about it and, you know, I don't think it it's something that players should be afraid of, you know, voicing. 
the idea of losing confidence. You know, uh, this is like what the fifth basketball reference I've made now in this podcast. But, you know, Kevin Love got a lot of love, uh, no pun intended, a few weeks ago when he pine- or he penned a um, Players' Tribune article about, you know, fighting depression and, you know, the, the kind of impact that not living at home and having to constantly be on the road and, and having, you know, certain expectations and getting injured and being expected to be back and be back at, at your full form, the kind of, you know, weight that that puts on you as a professional athlete. And so I, I think it, it's maybe the best time that we've ever seen f- and like maybe the most accepting time for players to admit these things in public as, if, you know, if nothing else, to make a personal connection with the fan. And I think those kind of things, you know, when you're open about it, they go a long way for you. And so I, I, I do think that people who listen to that interview now, I think are going to have a new understanding. And so that was a, that was a nice job of you to get that out of them. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because players themselves know each other in that way. Like, you, you know, you, the, the one thing today after the, you know, after Boston ties the game right before overtime, um, as they're, uh, they're quickly, uh, um, bringing the Zamboni out on the ice, whatever. Um, Jake Voracek goes over to the – goes skating up and down the bench. He's on the ice, and he's skating up and down the bench, and he's talking individually to players and telling them, you know, hey, this is – you know, don't don't let that, you know, bother you. Put it behind you. We still can get that second point. You know, we, we, we're we still a good team. We, we do a lot, off, a lot of good offensively in three-on-three overtime. And, and Jake would never tell you that he does that, right? But it was brought up by a couple of players. It was brought up by the coach where they said, you know, this is the kind of stuff you get. You get like that that leadership quality and, and you know the players you need to talk to. And Vorchek knew who he had to talk to and got guys refocused again, you know, because they just made a mistake. They could, three guys couldn't get the puck out of the zone. And Vorchek's going around to guys and saying, you know what, put it behind you. We can go out and score a goal. And you just like so you know your own teammates. You know the people that you need to kind of keep you know lift up when things go wrong, or you know the people that are going to be that you know that you don't need to talk to. And, and that's part of a that's part of understanding the team. And and one thing I will say for this Flyers team is as mediocre as they really are, um, <laughs> and, and they are. I mean, come on, they, what are, they've played seventy nine games, seventy eight games, seventy nine games, and they've I think they've won. 40 and lost 39. I mean, ultimately, I mean, that's what they are. Yeah, they're, 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 they're 40 and 39. No matter okay. how many times you like to, not you, but no matter how many times people like to make the case that shootout losses and overtime losses still get you a point, it's yeah. still not a regulation victory. Right. You've played 79 games and they've won 40. So they're one game over 500. You don't, um, you don't get a point in the playoffs, do you? You know what <laughs> I mean? That's like, right. I think that's, that's, that's the ultimate thing, too. Like, maybe that's the analytics thing here, but like, yeah, is it is it good to get a point? I'm a big soccer fan, right? We host there's a, a soccer podcast as part of this podcast network, and like we talk about this, like sometimes it's important to go on the road and get a point, but ultimately that's not the same thing as getting a win. And Correct. when you when you look at at these teams in this conference, you know it's great that they're in the play. Then what is a a pretty solid footing for being a wild card team, but ultimately, yeah, they're they're a game over 500. You know, even yeah. if you. Even if you look at Columbus, who's uh, tied with them on points, that team is uh, forty-four and thirty-five. Yeah, that's right. that's a that's a massive difference. It is. They're nine the fl- games over five hundred. The Flyers the have the Flyers being one. The Flyers have the most uh, overtime losses, either you know, obviously in, in overtime or in shootouts, in at least the Eastern Conference. No, you're right. It's it the is it's the entire NHL. The Anaheim Ducks yeah. have thirteen, the, but nobody else yeah. is really that close in the East. 
Yeah, no, and so it's nuts. It is nuts. So, so as mediocre as they are, the one thing that I will really say about them, and and maybe this is maybe this is a positive for the coach, uh, because he he keeps them uh, keeps them feeling this way. They don't they don't know how to quit. They don't know how to give up. They will keep coming and keep trying. And 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 they're very resilient, and that's that's something to be said. And I think for the long term, I think that's going to benefit them because the, as young as they are, to learn how to keep being that resilient team, that when you face adversity down the road, when you're you know three, four, five years into this league, you, you'll respond better to it as opposed to you know coming onto a team as a rookie who's really good, and then the first time you face adversity in your fourth year, you're like, uh. Well, well, how do I deal with this? You know what I'm saying? It's a, I, I, I will give them a lot of credit for that. I, and I credit, the, the, first and foremost, um, and a, a guy who, at the time that they gave him the title, I didn't think it was wor- he was ready for it. But I'll tell you right now, the captain, Claude Giroux, is having an incredible year, not just with his points. Yeah, he's got a career-high 95 points. Uh, 29 goals, also a career high. He's tied for fourth, I think, or third, third or fourth in the league in scoring. All that aside, he he is so valuable to this team in so many ways that you can't look at statistically. That I'll tell you right now, if you took him away from this team, we're looking at a lottery, not only a lottery team, but one of the maybe one of the worst teams in the NHL. And if you gave uh, the Flyers, Claude Giroux of last year, who was regressing at the time, um, they're nowhere close to a playoff spot right now. So, I mean, I think this is a guy who really needs to be considered as an MVP candidate because not because he's the best player in the NHL. Because he, I don't think he is. I think he's still probably he's top 10 for sure. I don't think he's the best player in the league. But he is the most valuable person to his own team in the NHL. There's no one even – I don't even think that's close to being as valuable to their team as Claude Giroux has been for the Flyers this year. I think, you know, there, there's there's really no disputing that. I think even early in the season, people had gone into the season, especially, you know, the 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 great group of people on Twitter – they're fantastic. You gotta love Twitter, Anthony. They're oh, you know love, love it. typically Absolutely. the best, the brightest, the most educated bunch. <laughs> uh, you know they they had their pitchforks out. They were you know the the trade Giroux camp that had kind of taken place anywhere from let's say February of last year all the way through even early in this season. They just they were seemingly getting increasingly louder. It was and not only was it trade Giroux, it was also trade Voracek. Uh, there were people who this is the thing that I never understood. There were people who wanted the the trades of Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek, but then also wanted to extend Wayne Simmons, which like those three things together would would make I think my head spin. I like Wayne Simmons a lot. Wayne Simmons has had a a really nice stretch here in the last five or so games, um, and and he's a guy that I I think the city of Philadelphia can really identify with. He's a tough guy, and he's still you know able to put up points. Um, he's not. It's it's funny friends of mine who don't really follow the Flyers all that well when they first got Simmons and even a couple of years into his career they're like oh so is he like Donald Brashear because like they stopped watching hockey for so long I'm like no he's he's pretty much like the antithesis of what Donald Brashear used to be for the Flyers so no not even remotely close uh he's you know 
he epitomizes, I think, what a Philadelphia athlete is, uh, which isn't to say that, you know, we want this to become sports talk radio where, uh, you know, uh, is Chick Voracek really a Philly guy? 610, 632. Like, no, we don't want yeah. that. But, you know, Simmons, I think, at, at different points this year, I think it's been fair to question if, if he's kind of been breaking down a little bit, which is a bummer. Um, and, you know, can he kind of uh, regain the form that we've been so accustomed to seeing with him the last few years? What was it? The last two years, he's had 30 goals. He's very likely, uh, obviously, not going to get there. He would need seven goals in these last three games, which I simply don't see happening. But I, I think even him being able to come back, fight his way through injury, I think the way that we've seen Voracek and Giroux lead the team in points, which is something that I think even at the end of last year, nobody would have expected going into the season. Uh, based on the way that it seemed like both Giroux and to maybe a lesser extent Voracek seem to have regressed, Claude's now sitting on 95 points and Jake is sitting on 82. And, you know, for all the doubters and all the people who wanted them traded, I, I think this has been a, a vindicating season for both of those guys. Not that they needed it. They've clearly, you know, shown over the years that they are capable of putting up uh, really high point totals and that they've been great leaders on this team. But especially even the people who have said all along that they didn't think Claude Giroux was a good choice for captain. He was too young for it. He wasn't ready. Um, you know, he was the guy who was vocal in standing up to Chris Pronger years ago. Uh, you know, was he just a punk kid? I, I think this season has has really solidified um, that these guys haven't regressed. And that, you know, when they're surrounded by appropriate talent and they're surrounded by some some youthful guys that can bring some energy to the locker room, you know, great things are, are possible. I, I'm going to give you a confession here. Confess. Russ. Oh, you know um, what? It is Easter. So this is really yeah, nice. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, Should it I put works, on some organ music in the background? It works perfectly, like, right? What, what would you like? <laughs> um, two years ago. Bless me, Russ, I, for I have sinned. That's how this yeah, starts. Yeah, yes, please please bless me, Russ, for I have sinned. Or two bless me, ago, Twitter. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I went on a radio show, and someone asked me what I would do. It was right after the Flyers had missed uh, – uh, uh, the season had ended uh, the first year that Haxtell was coach. He, I guess they made, they made the playoffs, lost in the first round. Um, or no, was was that last year? That was last year. He yes. missed the playoffs. Yeah. Ma- missed the playoffs his first year. So it was his first, It was the year they missed the playoffs. Um, and someone had asked me. They said, "Well, what would you, what would you do to fix the Flyers?" And I said, "I would trade Claude Giroux." <gasps> I said, and at the time, I mean, you know, he was twenty eight years old. And he was still top tier player, and I said I think that the Flyers have a long way to go before they can get back to being a real Stanley Cup contender. And I said if you have one player on your team who can bring in a bring you a haul in a trade, it would be Claude Giroux. And then I kind of I kind of felt like my opinion was was kind of vindicated last year because he was not very good last year. He was just a guy for them last year. And, and and it was it's hard at that point to not sit there and say they missed the window with this guy, but Drew has proved us all wrong this year, and I'm the first to admit it. I mean he's had an incredible incredible season, and when I say that I don't just mean just the way he's playing offensively. He is as good as he's been as a defensive forward ever in his career. Now he he played today against Patrice Bergeron's line five-on-five, and controlled the game against them, they didn't do anything. I mean, Bergeron scored the goal to tie the game, but that was Drew wasn't on the ice for that, nor was Couturier. I mean, they weren't on the ice. It's the one shift that they weren't on the ice against Bergeron's line, and Bergeron's line scored. Otherwise, they didn't do anything. 
And Drew and Couturier are part of that. I mean, they are really, really playing great defensive hockey. So he's been so good this year that you can't you can't trade Drew at this point, if if ever. Um, you can't trade Voracek. I will say this. I think in the offseason, and we'll get to this down the road on this epi- on, on this uh, Snow the Goalie podcast once the season's over, I do think that they will trade Wayne Simmons in the summer. <gasps> I do. I think he's got one year left on his contract, and I don't think that he's – I think he is, like you had mentioned, Russ, he's breaking down a little bit physically. Um, I mean, he's still going to put up an okay year, but not as good as he's been, and he takes a beating more than any other player does on this team. And I think that he's a guy that they're not going to want to assign to that extension. And they could probably get something for him um, to, to make the team a little bit better. I mean, he's what's the purpose in having a guy on your third line who's supposed to be a goal scorer, right? When, and when you saw when he was hurt, how well Nolan Patrick filled in on that top power play unit. So to me, it's almost like the same thing when they when – they, um, pushed aside uh, or tra- ended up trading Braden Chen. Like, they didn't need him anymore, and everybody went nuts. I think it's going to be the same thing. They they aren't going to need Wayne Simmons next year, and I, they can make the team better without him. So that's something I think is going to be coming down the road, and we're going to talk a lot about that. You know, this isn't to catch the ire of other people who happen to, uh, to cover or care or podcast about the Flyers, but, uh, yeah, the, the – the guy that you just mentioned, Braden Shen, who had led the team in power play goals last season, you know, the argument had been made that, well, power play goals count all the same. And and that's fair. And Shen, I think, has had a, a solid season uh, this year. I, I do think that there is something to be said for uh, the loss, at least maybe as a locker room guy. Again, I'm not down there. You are. Who, um, Braden Shen? But, no, no, no. I'm getting back to Simmons. Oh, S- Simmons. So okay. I, I think from my outsider's view, I don't think – Shen had been looked at as a leader, and I, I would assume that Wayne Simmons has a, a considerable more, a considerably higher amount of weight that he can throw around in that locker room as a leader. Uh, and and he is definitely, like I said before, he's a guy that the city kind of identifies with. And so I think if if you kind of cut bait with him and don't get good value back for him, I think it would be, um, it could be detrimental to the Flyers just from a from a PR perspective. And I think even if you do make the case. That you know, it it appeared as though he was breaking down, and you try to get value for him, you know, while you still could. I do think that there will be more fans upset about that than you know being upset about you know Braden Shen, who had you know once been the uh, supposed the the can't miss diamond prospect in the Mike Richards deal. You know, Simmons had always kind of come into this as kind of you know what I would consider an ancillary piece to that trade, and he's you know very clearly out. Um, outperformed what I think the initial expectations were for him. I just think it, it would be a loss not only on that power play, uh, and and you could be right that Nolan Patrick could probably fill that role. Um, you know, obviously they they got more guys. Uh, they spread around the power play goals this year a little bit better than they had last year. It's not as top heavy, but I do think it would be a loss for them overall to to see Wayne go. Yeah, well, I mean everybody's going to say that. I mean just like the, everybody was kind of freaking out when they traded Richards and Carter on the same day. Like, what the heck are they doing? And you saw that they actually, you know, in a lot of ways, even though those guys eventually ended up on the same team and ended up winning a Stanley Cup together, um, I, they, the Flyers, if you take the trades in the vacuum, won those trades, each of them, um, because Richards flamed out and isn't even in hockey anymore. 
And Carter lasted in Columbus for all of four months before they had to trade him again and didn't get the same value in return that the Flyers got. I mean, when you look at what the Flyers brought back in return for those two guys, I mean, it's been their core for the last five or six years. And and even after trading Shen and getting what they got there, they got the leading goal scorer in the Ontario Hockey League, um, and they got another first-round pick coming next year. I think that it ultimately is going to work out in the Flyers' favor yet again. Um, so, you know, the fans will get over it. If if it's uh, if if it comes to pass that the, that the Flyers have to move on from Wayne Simmons after this season, yeah, there'll be an initial disappointment and everybody will freak out for a little while. But I think that I, I think that this team will, you know, the fans will get over it because the team will get better. Um, that's not saying that Simmons is dragging them down. I'm just saying that he can get you a return that can make the team a little bit better than it is right now. I think that's a, a pretty fair take, Anthony. It's it's much more level headed than I want to accept as a Philadelphia fan. So uh, <laughs> can, I'm sorry. Can, I'm can sorry you say something I'm... a little bit more incendiary? That's that's way too <laughs> rational. I can't really handle it. I I need uh, something much more negative, please. Uh, you want you want you want the you want the the podcast to be flaming you know, on fire in the first first go round, huh? No, contrary to what people might believe, this is not our reincarnation of hot ice from the movie Goon. Although, in fairness. <laughs> You know, this is, I think a few people have asked, why is it called Snow the Goalie? And my initial pitch was I wanted the, I wanted the name Hot Ice. Uh, I, I think the movie Goon is essentially a must watch if you're a hockey fan. Um, it's, if, it's you haven't, if you haven't seen it at this point, uh, you need to, to get on that it's right on, now. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, wait, is it? Yes. Oh. It's on Netflix. Oh. And for the people who don't know, because somebody complained about this on Twitter today, the... Um, the intro song that we used in the uh, the welcome episode, and I'm going to now use it, of course, because it it's going to go full circle. I'll use it again today. Uh, that is actually the same intro song that they use in the movie Goon. I don't know if I'm going to finish the episode with Nessun Dorma, which is how they end it after he, uh, spoiler alert, knocks out Ross the Boss Ray. But, uh, <laughs> man, I love that movie. I wanted this to be hot ice. I don't think we need hot ice. We don't need a song of ice and fire. Because if we did, it would probably take you 15 years to finish it. So yeah. this is great. Yeah, that's good. It's good. A little Game of Thrones there for uh, yeah for the fine folks at home. It's yeah, getting that's... it's getting weird. We've gone past an hour. Yeah, it's we have. We're, we're, we've talked for and this is going. This I'm finding this is going to happen. I think this is just me. I think I'm a long winded person when I write and when I talk. Because when Bob Wankel and I recorded our first um, crossed up Phillies podcast. We were like, oh, let's keep it to like 35, 40 minutes, and we went over an hour. And now here we are on this one, and we're like, yeah, well, you know, whatever, and here we are over an hour. So I don't know. We were, we, you got you to gotta rein me in, I think, Russ, both now, you guys. I, look, I think it's better for a, uh, a podcast to bring some real quality to the table in, in the vacuum that's kind of been created by the Flyers being a successful team and making the playoffs. I think people have been waiting for there to be this a uh, uh, good combination of inside access and also some like level-headed takes, but I, I do think that one of the best things, and I said this in the Welcome Show, and I'll say it again, one of the best things with you as somebody who covers the team is the fact that you are not just an apologist for everything. Uh, you've been critical about the coach in the past, players in the past, and I, I do think that that's something that the city of Philadelphia needs. I think in a lot of cases they need it across all of their sports, and they certainly don't get it. And then you know when a media member does go out of the way to kind of fulfill the the uh, the wishes and the concerns of fans for months, 
you know, they go out and do it and then they get crucified in the next moment because, you know, Philadelphia fans like to kind of flip flop a little bit. No offense to what, all the, of our fellow Philadelphia people. fans are fickle. What? It's, they're fickle. What? No. Excuse me. What? (laughs) (laughs) But the the funny thing is, is we've talked for over an hour, and we have a list of things we wanted to talk about, and like three of the five things you had up on the board, we didn't. We didn't even get to. I know we're gonna be like, man, the power play has been terrible. Penalty kill has been great. That's been fantastic. Uh, When is Brian Elliott coming back? (laughs) I don't. I don't know. Like Anthony, we could we could cover it now, or we could let the schedule kind of play out. We'll be back on Thursday. Um, That means that by that point. Ooh, Thursday's going to be a little bit interesting, right? Uh, I guess we'll record Wednesday night. So that'll mean that we will be recapping the Flyers-Islanders game, previewing the uh, home game against the Hurricanes, and their eventual season finale, regular season finale, against the uh, New York Rangers at home yeah, they on might, Saturday. They might have a playoff spot locked up, because if, um, if Florida loses tomorrow and the Flyers win Tuesday, the uh, Flyers are in the playoffs, definitely. So... Uh, we could, by the time we talk again, we could uh, have a uh, a playoff team for sure, 100%. I love locking it in. I, I want to just really quick before, and, and maybe we'll get to this on Thursday, what happened to Carolina? I feel like so many people in the preseason had, had kind of written them down as a dark horse favorite to make yeah. the playoffs and, and even you know win a round, and they're out of the playoff hunt. Yeah, I, they're not quite ready. I mean, they're, they, I think Carolina is, is a team that's, that's coming and they got a really young they did what the flyers wouldn't do this year in a sense and i think that that's what ultimately cost them their defense is incredibly young it might it's the youngest defense in the nhl and i think it ended up hurting them over a stretch of games um but these kids are really really talented and i i would not be surprised if next season carolina is a team that's really pushing towards the top of the division um they had they had stretches this year where they were strong um they actually started the flyers on that um uh was it a six game losing streak or they lost six out of their seven out of eight whatever it was um they came into philly and just spanked the flyers on at the wells fargo um so i think carolina is a team that's that's getting closer but their defense was really really young this year and they really don't have a goalie i mean cam ward is not the same cam ward when they won a Stanley Cup in 2006, right? I mean, so, I mean, it's 12 years later. He's not the same guy. Um, so that, that's the one position where they really need to find uh, find their franchise goaltender. But I think that they have a lot of good young talent there, and I think that they're going to be a good team next year. All right, that's fair. And I guess we're going to see uh, going into this week how the Flyers uh, are hopefully able to pick apart that young defense and come out with a win. Uh, It's going to be an exciting week. Everybody's excited for playoffs. The city of Philadelphia has had this weird renaissance going on where all of a sudden the teams are good. And sure, like one has, uh, you know, their franchise players got a broken orbital bone. That's fine. Whatever. Um, One's got got a manager who's uh, (laughs) who's who's maybe needs a blow to the orbital bone to kind of get knock some sense into him. (laughs) I just really want to say. (laughs) <laughs> that I have conviction with uh, what's going on with this bullpen and this lineup. I it's just, I, 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 I just, I'm really loving what these guys are bringing to the table. Bob's, what if, what if Bob Wankel's been texting me all day? It's like he can't wait to do the next episode of the podcast because he is fired up. 
<laughs> what happens? Like, just imagine for a day you could rearrange all of the Philadelphia coaches and watch the world burn just a little bit. I, I there would be nothing I would want more. I really wish that the Phillies would have let Larry Boa stay as the as the bench coach. <laughs> With Gabe Kapler, <laughs> because I would love to see how the two of them would have would have coexisted, if at all, in that in that in that lock, uh, clubhouse and uh, on in that dugout. <laughs> Is there anybody on the Flyers coaching staff who kind of would play that similar dynamic with Dave Haxtell? No, they're all kind of progressive. I mean, maybe Lappy Ian Laperriere, but he's not. He's such a, a low key guy. He's not a he's not a you know grizzled hardcore old school kind of guy um so no there's not um i will tell you there are people within the organization <laughs> who are like that um but not not on the coaching staff no all right uh, i have a very obscure hockey stat maybe this will become a an, an every episode feature do you happen to know what the with the uh burger sonneborn coefficient is the who what where the burger sonneborn coefficient all right folks so uh, get this ready. It originally came from chess tournaments, and it, and it goes as follows. To get an idea for who the best teams are in the sport, for every opponent the team beats, add its points per game. For every opponent the team lost to in overtime or, shoot, or a shootout, add half of its points per game. For every opponent the team lost to in regulation, add nothing. Divide by the number of games the team played. This metric would be uh, higher for teams that beat stronger opponents. Enjoy that. That, my friends, is something that I'm sure Travis Sanheim and the rest of the Flyers are going to be researching <laughs> okay. and looking up. Well, well, let me ask you though, Russ. What? Yeah. Where do the Flyers fit on that? Have you? Do I don't you have know. A ranking? Do you have a ranking? So wait, you have this I don't. stat. I you looked don't it know, up. You don't know where everybody where everybody fits on it. Listen, I le- I legitimately Googled obscure <laughs> hockey stats. I found this page that looks like it was somebody's old Zanga, and uh, <laughs> like I'm seriously expecting like the those. Do you remember remember the the old pages like there was hamsterdance.com and fishheads and like they would sing and it was like these little animated things I, I don't know that's what I kind of expected here I wanted um I wanted there to be like a, a mixtape or something playing in the background I didn't get any of those things but I did find the burger sonneborn coefficient so that's really exciting uh, I maybe I'll do some research for Thursday and we'll we'll get that pulled up uh, yeah but, I, I need I need to know who's who fits where with that with that burger sonnenberg coefficient all right, fine. Oh, that's going to take so much time. Maybe I'll do it. Um, no, you really... don't have to do the work. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's a website that has it out there, right? I don't know. Maybe they do. Um, by the way, Anthony, we only yeah. did we only did an, a welcome episode at this point, and of course, the one that we're recording now that people are going to be listening to it's it it is filling their ears and their minds with the most rational and also the greatest Philadelphia Flyers podcast content available on the market we have a five-star review in itunes and i can't tell you how many times i have opined i have or not opined that i've begged people from my whatever existent or non-existent pulpit i have uh, to leave five-star reviews on our anchor show crossing broadcast but i will do that now don't forget that the that um snow the goalie is available on itunes google play and stitcher you can leave reviews on Stitcher, and of course on iTunes. Five-star reviews are the way to go. If you love the show, five stars. If you like the show, five stars. If you don't know what the show is, five stars. And if you hate the show, five stars. It's how we climb the rankings and get uh, more people to uh, know about Snow the Goalie, a Flyers podcast. Dr. Josh S. left a five-star review. Finally, 
March 30th was the date that it was left. Excited to hear weekly Flyers talk. Have been listening to Crossing Broadcast since it started. Enjoy Anthony's writing. And both of you actually respond to my intelligent hockey thoughts on Twitter. Good luck with the pod and let's go Flyers. That's, I love it. That's fantastic. We the have way, the we have the best listeners, Anthony. We we do. And by the way, your your little uh, pitch there, you, you yeah. sounded like an you sounded like an Uber driver. <laughs> five it, stars, five stars. Give me five, five stars. stars. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I love yeah. five stars. Five stars are the best. Only the best. Only the greatest. Um. Anyway, we uh we'll be back Thursday. Uh, just a reminder, Snow the Goalie is part of the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. It's all over CrossingBroad.com. You cannot escape it. It is the greatest Philadelphia sports podcast network, anchored, of course, by Crossing Broadcast, a Philly sports podcast. That's me and Kyle Scott, the founder of Crossing Broad. Uh, that show is on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Of course, the show you're listening to, Snow the Goalie, on Thursdays, although this was a special episode and we got the Travis Sanheim interview, so we were uh, off schedule a little bit. We will be back again Thursday. Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, which Anthony co-hosts with Bob Wankel. Uh, it's a fantastic podcast that you should listen to if you're uh, if you're looking for some fiery takes about Gabe Kapler and his management of the bullpen. They're not going to talk about it on Tuesday. I can't imagine that Bob has any thoughts on that or that Anthony has any potentially rational takes. Uh, that's going to be coming to you on Tuesday. Uh, Crossing Broad FC, an international soccer podcast. Uh, that is me and Phil Kaidel, who used to write about Manchester City and world football for Bleacher Report. He's also a contributor to the website. Uh, we did an episode over the weekend with Kevin Kincaid, who used to be the Sixer or the uh, Philadelphia Union beat writer, and is now, of course, the Sixers beat writer for Crossing Broad. Uh, we broke down a ton of stuff, including Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who scored two goals in like 20 minutes in his debut over the weekend. And finally, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, which is another show that Kevin hosts uh, with Dave Zeitlin, somebody who he's a guy who writes for MLSsoccer.com. Those are all the shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Make sure you check those shows out, subscribe, leave five-star reviews, all that stuff. And, of course, follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am uh, at Joy on Broad. Anthony is at AntSanPhilly. Make sure you uh, you follow us on Twitter. Let us know how you uh, liked the episode. Let us know things that you want to hear going forward. Anthony, there was a Twitter question, so I feel like we should respect that person. Um, yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. Uh, actually, three. Wow. We got three questions. Uh, I'm in. One of them. Uh, was from Rap- Phil. Well, from you Phil. Go, you go, go rapid fire. Okay. I'll answer all which, three quick. Which of the three top seeds would the Flyers have a half chance of getting past? He, uh, Washington. I think I think they match up best against the Capitals. Capitals are a power driven by their power play. Flyers don't take a lot of penalties, um, and I think that they could play with them 5-1-5. Five five. Why were Amac and Manning on the ice with under 30 seconds in one goal game? So it was Manning who was the other defenseman, not... Provorov. I couldn't remember who the fifth guy was on. Um, yeah, and that, that's what we, we actually talked about that during the podcast. It, I I can't answer that question. I would not have had that pairing on. I would have had Provorov and well, I mean, I I get I get McDonald. I know a lot of people don't. I get it, but I would still put Provorov and Goss to spare. They move the puck so much better and get it. They can get it down the ice faster. And finally, will Noivy or Elliot be ready for the? Uh, what, oh, sorry. Will Noivy or Elliot be ready first for the playoffs, or or is Kapler the worst baseball manager of all time? I don't know. I don't think that one had to do with this one, although he put it on the same thing. So, who's going to be ready for the playoffs first, Noivy or Elliot? Elliot, I think I think Noivy is season to season, as opposed wow. to day to day. 
Wow. The guy is always hurt. He's constantly hurt. I think Brian Elliott, Elliott, I was over at, uh, when I recorded the interview with Travis Sandheim, I was over at practice yesterday, and Elliott was a full participant, looked good, and talked to the media afterwards. I mean, I, I think he's going to play this week and, and be ready to go for the playoffs. I, I don't see Neuver being ready at all. Let me just kind of build off that in that case. What are the odds that Dave Haxtell goes to a rotation in the playoffs? I don't like, see especially it. because Elliott's coming off an injury. Is he going to just run Elliott into the ground again, or like what are we looking at? Yeah, most guys don't alternate goalies in the playoffs unless somebody's not playing well. I think that they're going to try and get Elliott a couple games here, two of the last three, and see if he's okay. And if he's okay, he's going to be the guy come playoff time. Um, I, I don't think they trust Morazic enough. That obviously Neuver's always hurt. And I don't. They don't want to play Alex Lyon in the playoffs. So I think it's. I think Elliott's going to be the guy unless he can't do it, unless he's hurt and and just you know he's not back up to snuff. It's going to be him. If we took uh, all of the emotion out of it and took all of the years of of service and everything out, would Lyon be the backup, or do you think just skill alone, Morazic should be the backup? Are all four healthy? Neuvert's never healthy, so he doesn't count. Okay, I was going to say, because if, if Neuvert is healthy, then Neuvert is still the backup ahead of Morazic. Um, but no, you're yeah, you're right. Morazic would be the backup ahead of Alex Lyon. Even though the guys in the room love Alex Lyon, he's just not ready for a playoff situation. Okay. This has been Snow the Goalie, a Flyers podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back again on Thursday. Um, I don't have any wise words. Anthony, any wise words for the people? No, I got nothing right now. If I, if I, you got to tell me I'm going to be doing this. I'll prepare something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If if we're gonna, if we're going to give a go with you know some kind of saying at the end of the podcast every time, I'll, I'll have some kind of like words of wisdom to, to trot out there every every episode. Thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie. Uh, <laughs> keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>